This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome back. Some sort of Cooler Jets podcast for host Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Well, Michael, big surprise today. The Jets have parted ways with offensive coordinator Micah Florin. Yes, I worded it that way because that is how the Jets have worded it, that they're parting ways, that they're allowing Michael Florin to seek other opportunities. Very weird how this story broke today, but end of the day, Micah Florin no longer the offensive coordinator of the New York Jets. We're going to talk about that. We'll break it all down, talk briefly about some potential candidates, uh, and then we'll get out of here. Quick little emergency pod. Michael, we haven't done one of these in a while. But I would say that this constitutes uh, some some pretty shocking news. So how are you feeling, man? Yeah, it's definitely I would classify it as shocking. Um, I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration because we both knew this was on the table. But I guess the shocking aspect of it is more so the way it played out than the actual, you know, the fact that LaFleur is not the offensive coordinator anymore. Um, because if they're going to come out and just fire him, like, OK, we're making a change. The results weren't there. Um, then it would make sense, but kind of the way all this played out, you have a, you know, erroneous, incorrect report that gets refuted, but then it turns out that he actually is getting let go. But then other people are saying that he's getting let go because that initial report sparked interest in him from other teams. So uh, it'll be interesting to hear in the coming days and weeks uh, when the Jets speak about it publicly. And then as details get leaked uh, by the media, really what happened here, how, how the Jets explain it, and then really how it all played out, what led to him being let go, and it seemed like that they were kind of leaning towards keeping him. Um, and then another big part of this, which Robbie Sabo pointed out in an article that he wrote uh, quickly after the move was made, um, was ownership a part of this, because there's definitely, yeah. uh, you know, there are signs here that maybe the coaching staff wanted to keep him, but, you know, ownership is coming in they want to scapegoat they want to placate the fan base did yeah. they you know meddle and maybe push him out the door so yeah. there are a lot of interesting moving parts here I, I think that like i said is what makes this such an interesting move not the fact that he was let go because we all knew that was a possibility but just the way all this played out and the different ramifications of it are going to be interesting to kind of kind of really see how it all shakes out in the next few days and weeks as more yeah. information comes out. Yeah, we'll get to the ownership part in a second. But yeah, just in terms of how the story broke, the way that it sounds, I mean, I don't know if this is the Jets. Here, I think the Jets are just doing LaFleur solid here. But the way that, that Antoine Staley has worded it in his tweet essentially sounds like the Jets. And New I, York and I Daily News out, reporter. New York Daily News reporter. Uh, 
I tweeted this out. It essentially sounds like the Jets are a guy who was contemplating breaking up with their girlfriend, decided not to, but then somebody else slid in their girlfriend's DMs, and then so she broke up with him. That's how that's how Antoine Staley has worded this in terms of they weren't planning on firing him, but then that uh, report from Aaron Wilson came out, so then some teams reached out to the floor, and then because of that, and he heard, you know, got the initial interest from them, he decided it would be best to part ways. I really hope that that's that not the case because I would rather. I don't buy it. Do you? Buy I don't it? buy that either. No, I don't buy it because, uh, yeah, it would be very strange if one tweet that was incorrect sparked other NFL teams to reach out to Lafleur. Exactly. I, I think that this is solid doing Lafleur a solid. Hopefully, um, the part that you mentioned about the ownership is is the the more concerning part. But let's stick on the floor here for a second. Um, you wrote an article uh, kind of defending uh LaFleur and why you think he should maybe stay and then you wrote kind of the the opposite as to to why you should fire him you presented both sides of the argument ultimately it sounded like both and I both you and I were kind of riding the fence there and you know could go either way uh and we mentioned in the last pod that it is exceptionally difficult to evaluate coaches more so it's easier with offensive coordinators because you have a, a bigger sample size to, to judge, but with the position coaches, our point was like, you don't really know what type of coach these guys are because you don't see them in the day to day. You don't see them, how they interact with players, you know, the adjustments they make. And there's so much you're missing. All you can judge them on is, is player performance. Um, so with that being said, Michael, where did you ultimately fall? I mean, did, are you happy with, with the move? Are you excited about the jets potentially, looking at other offensive coordinator candidates, is this something that excites you or is there a pit in your stomach here that maybe the Jets are, are making the floor of the scapegoat? Obviously the quarterback play the last two seasons has been horrific, but then again, they didn't score a touchdown the last three games of the season. And there were plenty of other offensive issues this year that aren't just on the quarterback. So where did you ultimately fall, you know, today when the news broke, how did you feel? I, I think like you said, I'm still on the fence about it. I'd, feel pretty indifferent. I'm not like, yes, LaFleur is out of here, and I'm not also like, oh, this was a huge mistake by the team. I think it could end up being on either end of the spectrum. LaFleur could go somewhere else, be amazing, and the Jets could uh, continue struggling with whoever they bring in, or it could go the other way, and LaFleur could ultimately not turn out to be a great coordinator, and the Jets could find success with their new guy. I could see either of those happening. I think it's a pretty equal shot of either of them. And just depends on if the Jets can find the right fit for the quarterback they eventually bring in, for the talent they have, and the talent they will add this offseason. But um, in terms of the floor, I mean, like you said, it's so hard to evaluate coaches. And I think you and I both do a good job of avoiding falling into the trap that I think too many fans do of just, you know, pinning all the results right on the coach. Like, you're exactly how many points you score. You're exactly how many games you win. That's all you it's always a lot more complex than that because coaching is, you know, ultimately you want the results obviously, but what makes a coach is, you know, how does he teach guys in practice? Is he good at communicating information and um, being able to identify flaws and work on them? Is he good in the film room at helping guys, you know, you know, be on the same level with them and being able to communicate that information in a way that, they can digest it and learn from it. All these things. Do they respect him? Do they like talking to him? And these are things that it's impossible for us to evaluate. So it's really hard to say how much of the Jets' struggles are on the floor, how much are not. All we can do is, you know, look at the results, and the results were not good. 
And, and then when you try to break those down, you know, it's still a mix of both because like we talked about a lot when specifically when Zach Wilson was playing, a lot of it was quarterback play. I mean, Zach Wilson missed a lot of open throws throughout his games this season. Joe Flacco did as well. Um, and then obviously Mike White's final game, he missed a lot of open throws. So that didn't do LaFleur any favors. But at the same time, there are things you can identify that LaFleur was not doing well. You know, why was he running so many empty formations when the Jets were terrible with those? Uh, why was he not running as many slants and crossing routes and in-breaking routes that could maximize Elijah Moore's yak, that could make things easier for Zach Wilson, given those easy throws over the middle? Um, why is the offensive line having so many communication issues? Why did it take so long to move Elijah Moore into the slot when he started him outside and it wasn't working? Uh, so there are a lot of things you can look at. Uh, the tight end usage, I think tight ends could have been used better, more in the red zone, more yak opportunities for Uzama, more route running chances for Conklin. So there's a lot you can point to that I think is a legitimate criticism of LaFleur. But uh, at the same time, I can see, you know, if the Jets had an average or better quarterback, maybe it would be a solid offense. I can absolutely see that as well. So I'm still very indifferent about this. We'll see who the Jets end right. up getting. Uh, it doesn't seem like the most amazing crop of potential options here. There's you don't some know solid that ones, yet. But, uh, you don't know yet. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Um, could be someone out of the it, it is a tough. It is a tough spot. About. It is a tough spot because it does feel like if you're an offensive coordinator candidate like like Frank Reich, who might end up becoming a head coach, so maybe it's just a moot point. But do you want to go to a place like New York in the spotlight under a, a coach in Robert Sala who might be on the hot seat under a general manager? and Joe Douglas, who might be on the hot seat. I don't know if there's the stability there for some guys that you might be able to find in other, other spots. I think you, you raised an excellent point, and I went back and I read your your two articles in defense of LaFleur and the one that was maybe more critical of LaFleur, which really just kind of broke down uh, the route usage. And, and you briefly mentioned it, you know, how the Jets were kind of middle of the pack in terms of slants and crossers. And I, I think – this is something you and I were talking about. I think it was yesterday how we don't, we never really knew what this offense was. They really right. lacked a clear identity. And I think part of that, you can blame on the quarterback because I think when Mike white was the quarterback, you saw a version of this offense that looked different than when Zach Wilson was the quarterback. When Mike white was the quarterback, it was pro very progression based pocket passer style of offense. When Zach Wilson was the quarterback, you know, you saw the, the scheme he dialed up for him against Buffalo, that quick passing game. A lot of single reads. You saw some RPO looks. And then when Brees Hall was healthy, you saw a different offense. I mean, they lacked a clear identity on offense. But the thing that stood out to me in your article was, yeah, the 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 fact that they were middle of the pack and slants and crosses, which is what you thought they might, might be the bread and butter of this offense when you hired him. Because if you're going to be an offense that prioritizes Yak, those are the routes you're going to want to use, especially if you're an offense that doesn't have uh, consistency at the offensive line. You know, those in and outbreaking routes, like you mentioned, take longer to develop. You, If you don't have a good offensive line, you're just asking and you're setting yourself up to get sacked. I think the other thing that stood out in your article was the fact that they were, I think, 29th and 30th in terms of routes to the flat and uh, hitch routes. Granted, yeah. this was just with the receivers, so I wonder how much that changes with the tight ends and the running backs. But right, the clear lack of easy offense was, was obvious, especially this season. I, I do feel like it looked... Even in 2021, I thought LaFleur is better. And this this season, uh, I felt like it was um, predictable 
And it was too many routes that were taking too long to develop and too many plays that, that were taking too long to, uh, or, or making it too, putting too much pressure on a guy like Zach Wilson, where, and you, you mentioned the lions game, uh, on Sunday night and you watch that lions offense and just how many free yards that offense schemes up on a down to down basis. And while you can blame the jets quarterback play, and I, I certainly think that LaFleur might end up getting another offensive coordinator spot, maybe not next year, um, but maybe in the years to come, because you can say, look, I had the league's worst quarterback play for two years. What did you expect? The one thing you can't criticize is in 2022, it's unacceptable to not have a single touchdown the last three games of the season and to be putting up the types of, of performances the Jets were putting up this year. Um, and I think a lot of that was just the lack of clear, fundamental, easy offense. And then the other thing, and and maybe we didn't mention this enough, was Garrett Wilson's quote after the game against the Dolphins. And I'll read it. He, he said, shit, it seems like they had an idea of what we were trying to do. Once opponents got the film together at the end of the year, it got real hard for us on offense. That's just what it was. Now, is that because the inconsistency at quarterback that they had to keep things vanilla and had to keep things predictable. Maybe, but that does fall on the offense coordinator. They were too predictable and they didn't scheme up enough easy offense. And you mentioned it a little bit, the lack of development from any of these young players. I mean, you saw Zach Wilson regress. You saw Elijah Moore regress. You saw Michael Carter regress. You didn't really get great or even good seasons from, from Conklin or Uzama. Mims was a complete afterthought after his rookie year. You thought this was a guy that has some potential. Now, look, maybe that's more in the personnel department. Maybe these guys really don't have it. But at the end of the day, you do have to look at coaching a little bit. So all those things considered, Michael, uh, as you said, I'm not infuriate. Like I can get behind firing him. The one thing that does piss me off and does scare me is if Woody Johnson did indeed meddle. Because if Robert Sala goes through his process here, and goes back and and meets with the coaches, meets with the players, reviews the season, and he decides that they should go in different ways and that he can find an upgrade this offseason. Great, I'm behind it. I believe in Robert Sala. But if Sala says, no, you got to give this guy another year, he's had two years of awful quarterback play, let us bring in Jimmy G, let us bring in Derek Carr, give him another offseason to review the the film, because it's not like when you watch the all 22, it's not like there weren't open receivers and it wasn't like there was an offense to be had that the jets left out there. Um, if that's the case and, and Woody came in over the top and said, no, somebody, somebody's head has to roll for the season. And for, for Zach Wilson, you have to fire the OC. And that's what was kind of causing this weird miscommunication. Uh, that, that is discouraging for me. That's a bad right. sign for me. So I don't know. How, how do you feel about uh, some of the stuff that, that I just mentioned there in terms of, uh, your own article, the development of these guys, and 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 where the Jets ultimately go from here. Well, yeah, I mean, I first of all to talk about you know some of the things you brought up with the routes and stuff. I, I agree with everything you said. I think the lack of easy offense that Lafleur created is probably the biggest criticism I would put towards him because even when we say there were open throws for this team, and and there were plenty of them that I think you know an average veteran probably could have gotten a decent percentage of the throws that were open that were missed it wasn't like they were you know wide wide open throws a lot of the, a lot of the time they were like you know throws that are there but for a struggling young quarterback maybe not the easiest to hit but then you watch other offenses like again we'll bring up the lions last sunday night or really watch their whole season it was just very well schemed offense ben johnson their oc it's probably going to be a head coach uh this coming season um, you look at them, you look at the Niners, who LaFleur obviously came from, and it's like, I mean, I see Brock Purdy out here, and you look at his numbers, 
and they're amazing, and he's an undefeated starter. But then you watch the games, and it's like, I mean, he's doing nice, but these are wide-open throws that he's hitting. These are amazing screen passes that are executed to perfection. Where is that in the Jets' passing game? Uh, it feels like whenever they throw a screen, the Jets never have the numbers advantage. Uh, and it feels like when they have a play action, I never see those just wide-open easy schemed up offense throws there's not a lot of that so i think he did a good job of scheming in the sense of just creating favorable matchups and putting guys in position to win their routes like you know creating clear outs so the dig can come open or the out can come open and stuff like that but not as much to where it's like here's an easy throw that someone in the metlife parking lot could probably hit. <laughs> not enough of that so i guess that would be uh, a criticism that also, like you said, in the article I pointed out, um, flat routes and hitch routes were the two things he ran the least commonly compared to league average for the Jets wide receivers. And those are throws that you like to have. You would like to have a lot of for a young, struggling, developing quarterback because, you know, it just gives him shorter, quicker options to uh, be able to just stay efficient, keep the ball moving. But what he ran the most relative to league average was out routes and, as they classified it, in routes or dig routes, as they're sometimes called. So those are like your you know 10 to 15 yards, longer developing routes that are great throws if you can hit them. But you need good pass protection. You need good field reading, good anticipation from the quarterback. And Justin did not have any of those things this year, obviously. So uh, it seemed like he could have molded better. Uh, to the team at, at this point we're throwing a lot of criticism his way without saying much positive <laughs> well, okay so. well here's here's some positive yeah we all think that mike white isn't uh how, how should i put this the jets can't rely on mike white going into next right. year right but the three games that that he, the jets had a healthy mike white or even going back to last year with the Bengals game and started the colts game the performance that he was getting out of mike white was some top tier quarterback play yeah and yeah. not even you can even say some would use this to criticize Mike White. Oh well, it's not like he's making uh, crazy throws. He's just you know taking what the defense gives him. It's like well, that's that's the floor. Or even you want to criticize some of the Jets' red zone struggles. And I I think this is the play that well, you let me know what you think. I think this kind of perfectly encapsulates um, some of the floor's struggles, but also why you can defend the floor is that fourth and one on the goal line against Minnesota. They go empty on the goal line which already you're like, okay, but it's fourth down, fine. They get Barrios in motion. He cuts back across the middle, and he's open. The throw is there. Mike White hits him in the numbers. That's the game winner. Credit to the floor, but Barrios drops it. And you can criticize, why are they going to Braxton Barrios with the game on right. the line? When you have Garrett Wilson, you have Elijah Moore, you have Corey Davis, you know, you have these other guys, why are you going to Braxton Barrios? Sometimes he got too cute or outsmarted himself. I also feel like, maybe this is just uh anecdotal but the third and short and fourth and short play calls consistently were horrible and always failed it was always a predictable right. run up the middle and but uh, i think that that uh that vikings fourth and one play does a good job of kind of encapsulating it. it's like all right well yeah he got the guy open the play was there is it on personnel the fact that okay barrios maybe isn't a very good receiver or is it on the coach to to put his guys in the best place to to succeed because that was the thing that we liked when they hired Sala was the malleability that we saw on, on his, on the defensive side in, in 2020 for San Francisco, how they were able to adapt to their personnel. It never felt like this offense 
you know, it's like it was weird. They didn't really have an identity, yet it never felt like they were consistently putting their guys in the best chance to to right. win. You know, like they weren't necessarily molding it around their playmakers, but they also didn't have a, a firm identity. And I'm not really sure how much he's helped out the young quarterback. I, I don't know. It, it is weird. It's like, are you grading process or are you grading results? Because you see the all 22 and you see some guys get open. But at the end of the day, go back and watch that Lions game. Go back and watch that Jags game. Go back and watch the Seahawks game. Go and watch week 18 against the Dolphins. I mean, th- there are multiple games you can watch this season where you can say, okay, yeah, the quarterback play wasn't great, but what the hell are the Jets doing on offense? What is this game plan at New England, at Denver? I don't know. So, you know, like well, yeah, I, I, I mean, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. For your point with Mike White, I think that's something you could use as a positive for him. If you look at, you know, White's uh, games last year combined with this year and the way the Jets offense generally looked when he was out there. And I guess you can take out, take out the Seahawks game because he clearly wasn't healthy in that one. You can't take it but, out completely, but yeah, you could factor it I in. guess. That he was injured. Yeah, I, I guess factored in, but even even if you include that, and you look at how the Jets' offense generally played with Mike White, and they did move the ball very well. They racked up a lot of yards with him, and I guess it just speaks to you know maybe that type of quarterback and that type of offense is more suited to what Lafleur is trying to do because it almost seems like Zach Wilson was drafted to be you know for that 49ers type of scheme, and obviously Lafleur came from there, but. Anytime Zach Wilson was on the field, it was pretty ugly. But then you get Mike White in there, and you know that's when it started looking really well. The screens were executed better. The dump-offs were more effective. There's just more timing with the offense because it just seemed like Mike White was a better fit for what LaFleur likes to call and is effective at calling. So maybe that's the type of team he needs to go to where he can get a quarterback, more of a pocket quarterback like Mike White. And you know maybe if Mike White played every game for the Jets this season and, and was healthy, they could have looked really good. And that's why I was com- or confident going down the stretch, going into that Lions game, that the Jets were going to get their season on track because I thought, like, okay, you lost a couple road games against good teams, but I like the way this offense is moving with Mike White. Then he gets hurt, and the season all kind of falls apart from there. So, um, But the identity thing is another interesting part of this discussion because, like you said, and – the point we've both made it doesn't really feel like this offense has an identity like you said they've molded it to the quarterbacks who've been in there it was different for wilson it was different for flacco different for white even when strevler came in they were ready for that and had different packages uh so you give them credit to molding it to each of these quarterbacks but it never really felt like this like you can't sit here right now and tell me what lafleur's offense was it definitely wasn't like the niners offense didn't look much like that at all but how, how much also, of that how, how much of that do yeah. you think is attributed to the offensive line injuries because i do wonder it be, that it could definitely be a part of it yeah because i think you know i mean niners went out and got trent williams and that unlocked so much for them to have that dominant left tackle and i think that's what they hoped makai becton could be um kind of fulfill that in the same way just a complete road grader with amazing mobility to boot i think they kind like of picked him being that yeah, I mean, they pictured him, AVT, like they, it really was going to be a big part of it. So I think that Breeze. could be part of it. Brees, obviously. So um, I think that's also part of it. But to me, like when I think of an offensive identity and the importance of having that, I think it's just it's key because if you don't have that, then you kind of lose the continuity, you lose the rhythm, and you're always kind of scrambling 
for different answers. I think when you look at the best offenses in the league, you know what they do. Like you look at the Bills, like that's an aggressive vertical aerial attack mixed with Josh Allen's running ability. Even the Dolphins this year, with Mike McDaniel leading that team, you know what they do as well. It's for the most part, it's quick passing over the middle, let their playmakers make plays in space. And then eventually they'll catch you and they'll beat you over the top and they'll draw up something um, open enough for Tua to hit. Even though he doesn't have the greatest arm strength or deep talent, they can get those deep passes open enough to where he could still hit them and maximize those speed receivers they have. Um, the Niners, that speaks for the for itself. It's physical. It's a versatile run game. They can get outside. They block the tight ends, the fullbacks. And that's a topic we should talk about, fullbacks. Yes, um, I've, been, but, I've, been, I've been DMing Michael yeah. for like three weeks now. The Jets need to use a fullback next year. Yeah, but like the yak passing game, like top offenses in, in the league, you know what they do. And while that might seem predictable, I think it's actually a positive thing because they work off of that. I think that's what makes them good is because, okay, you play the Niners, you know we're going to try to stop that run game, stop that yak game. And then the Niners can build off that threat and do other things. And then it really keeps – that's how you – you know, stay ahead in the chess matches, knowing what opponents are going to scheme for, and then you work off of that. But when you're the Jets and you don't really have an identity, you never really know what's going to get thrown at you. You don't have established threats to work your game plan off of, and it just feels like a mess throughout the season. Like, what are we trying to do? How do we want to win football games? And it kind of felt like that was what was going on here. And injuries were a big part of that, obviously. But um, yeah, ultimately at this point, you know, we both said some positive things for LaFleur. We said some negative things. And I think that really sums up where we both stand. We're in, indifferent about this. You know, it, we'll see how the Jets move forward, who they decide to go with. And we'll see what LaFleur does with his new team. But um, I think for me, it just ultimately comes down to the quarterback position. I think that is what hurt them the most this season, more so than, than the play caller, and is what's going to have the biggest uh, impact going forward but uh yeah I'm, i don't love this move and i also don't hate it so i'm just sort of on the fence yeah i'm really curious to see to hear solid talk about it i don't know when yeah. the next time we get a solid press conference is and then i'm also really curious to see where the floor ends up because that'll tell us enough you know if the floor does get either another offense coordinator gig or at least a gig that you know maybe goes back and, and works under his brother or goes back to, to san francisco or whatever, maybe that gives some credence to the report. Um, and then also hearing solid talk about it because, and I don't want to sound like, you know, a solid cheerleader that this is like some state sponsored television. Um, but my opinion on this firing really comes down to did Sala want LaFleur gone? You know, I, I, I doubt he wanted LaFleur gone outright. Obviously he's, you know, close friends with his older brother and, and even Mike LaFleur himself. But if this was an ownership decision, I'm not sure how good I feel about it if this was a decision that Sala and Joe Douglas made after going and, and reviewing the entire season, and they thought that, look, you know, this offense can be even better. We didn't unlock a number of players this year and look, it'll be better for Zach Wilson, you know, to as, as difficult as it can be for a young quarterback to be learning a new system after a new system, um, you know, maybe giving him a fresh start could be the thing that unlocks him, you know? And I, I mentioned, Look, clearly Tua was never as bad as Zach Wilson was his first two years, but I mentioned it on Sunday. It's like Tua was viewed as as a bust after his first two seasons. Then the, the Dolphins bring in Mike McDaniel. He's able to unlock Tua, and Tua's having a great season uh, when healthy. 
I, I don't, it's an apples to oranges comparison because Zach Wilson was not as good as Tua. I don't think the Jets are going into the next year with Zach Wilson as a starter, but I do think that the, the organization isn't ready to just give up on Zach Wilson. I do think they want to keep developing, developing him and see if he turns into something. And, you know, regardless of if LaFleur is a good offensive coordinator, clearly it wasn't working for Zach Wilson. I hope they didn't just make the decision for Zach Wilson. I think you can point to a number of other things that we've already talked about. Um, but for me, it really just comes down to did Woody Johnson medal here. And the signs point to the fact that he did. You know, you saw the report from Michael Labardi a few days ago that Sala wants to keep him and ownership wants him gone. And maybe that's just some educated guessing. You know, maybe that's just reading the tea leaves and, and wondering about Woody Johnson's past. But I don't know. I don't want ownership meddling. I mean, they hired Joe Douglas and Robert Sala to do their job. And it's like, let the football guys do the football job. Like we don't need Woody Johnson in here meddling. Now, look, if he might not have, like you could football guys can come to the decision that it's best for the jets to move on from Michael floor. It's just for me, I think the thing that I was optimistic about with this new regime was finally the Johnsons are going to be hands, hands off. They changed the reporting structure. Joe Douglas is, is running things and just let, give these guys time. Don't be too reactionary. I think they're smart people. I think they're good people. And I think after a few seasons, they're going to get this together and, and maybe you'll see the jets have a great culture and, and be a consistent winner because tearing it up every few seasons and having ownership metal and, and being hyper reactionary to a, a fan base that is angry and you know upset because they haven't been to the playoffs in 12 years and wants to fire everybody after every single season. I, I, I will never, I mean, this is one example, but I remember checking Twitter during the Jets Panthers game in 2021 and seeing tweets wanting to fire Robert Sala, like two and a half quarters into his debut. Like this is a fan base that is hard to please. And if ownership is meddling and constantly meddling, you're never going to see any sort of success. And so you can placate an upset fan base by, by making a head roll because of how the season collapsed. But I don't think that's a sustainable path to winning. Now, as I said, if this was a Robert Sala decision, I'm I'm behind it. But if it's a Woody Johnson overruling Robert Sala, I'm not behind it. How do you, how do you feel about it? Do you, in your estimated opinion, I mean, again, we don't like to speak about things we don't know about. And I, I mean, I'm sure someday that the reports will come out about what exactly happened here. How do you feel? I mean, how do you feel about if it's true that Woody Johnson said to, to Sala said, you know, I think we should give him another year. And what he said, uh, no, you need to fire him. I mean, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, this is a guy who chooses the uniforms each week based on <laughs> what fans on Twitter say. So I definitely wouldn't put it past him if he's going off of, you know, fans outrage calling for him to be canned and using that as kind of the basis to, get his hands in the in the mix here and try to you know force him out because i mean i mean you could definitely see that because from an ownership standpoint you lost all the momentum you had through 11 games in terms of you know getting the fan base pumped up and they want to see some accountability and firing a coach is an easy way to like reignite the fan base and make them think that okay yeah we're on top of this we're going to get this turned around um, even if the coaches think that that's not the right move, because it's just a much easier thing to sell. Like, okay, problem removed. Coach is gone. Here's a new coach. We're going to get better. So I could definitely see that being what happened. But at the same time, 
like you said, it's also possible that maybe Douglas and Salah, or I would say mostly Salah probably would be facilitating that because he's been watching the film weekly all season and has been involved, probably would be more so him driving that. Um, they can come to the conclusion that, yeah, I think it's time for us to let him go. Um, that's also possible. So we'll see how this pans out, what details are revealed. But um, if there is meddling going here, it's definitely a little worrisome because it just kind of shows. Because for the most part, since Douglas has come in, uh, I'd say since Douglas, so including all of Sal's tenure, plus when Douglas has been here, it seems like it's been hands off. And Woody and Chris have done a solid job of that for the most part of just letting them do their thing. But if that is what happened now, you know, you get that meddling. That's like, all right, this can kind of open a can of worms here. Like, are you going to start doing this a lot now going forward? Are you getting desperate because things went downhill this past season? So that's definitely not something you want to see because you want to let the football guys handle it, like you said. So uh, we'll see how this pans out. I I would say I'm maybe 60% sure that this was ownership facilitated. So like slightly leaning towards yes, um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think, again, there are positives and negatives. And really the thing that will decide whether or not this is a good or a bad move for the Jets is who they hire next. So let's let's talk about it, Michael. Who are some of the candidates that jump out to you? I know there's been, you already released the article on Jets X Factor. There's been a few names floated out there. Who's standing out to you? Is there anybody that that makes you say, you know what, if the Jets hire him, I'm feeling really good about uh, our prospects next season and, and the type of offense we can run with, with you know, because it's like the Jets have talent and, and a lot to be excited about if you have the right play caller. There's some other options being floated around that make me question it a little bit. But again, can't judge them until they're on the field. So uh, early, early contenders. I mean, we'll see who they request interview, but early contenders, who stands out to you? Well, I mean, one guy who was exciting to me but maybe isn't actually a contender is Gary Kubiak. Um, I mean, Samini floated him a couple days ago as a potential option, but now today he said that he's not. Uh, well, I think I think he floated him as like a consultant and then right. said he's not, you know, in running for offensive coordinator, so who knows. Yeah, so I don't know if that's actually on the table because he retired a couple years ago, but he already came out of retirement once, so um, – Maybe Salah could lure him out because Salah did coach with him or under him for a while in Houston. So there's that connection there. You know, Kubiak is an original wide zone guy from uh, the 90s Broncos with Mike Shanahan. So uh, I think there's a lot of appeal there if it's something Kubiak is open to, but I'm not counting on that. But yeah, he's, had, he's maybe, had some health issues, and I can't imagine being the right. offense coordinator of the Jets would be yeah, good for the stress levels. Definitely not. Definitely not. I can ask Mike LaFleur about that and he's obviously a younger guy but i'm sure that took its toll as well so he's got some gray hairs now yeah so that one probably not realistic but frank reich is an intriguing one um this one also i'm probably not counting on being realistic because i think he'll probably be a head coach he's already getting head coaching interviews so not totally counting on it but if they can you know they have that connection with douglas being there in philly uh, while Reich was the OC there, definitely there's a connection. And he did good work with Andrew Luck in that first season with the Colts. He did, uh, at this point, the work he did with Carson Wentz stands out as an outlier um, with that one season with the Eagles. So he's got good reputation with quarterbacks and offense. So 
Reich would be good. Um, but I would say the two guys right now that look like the most likely are probably Daryl Bevel, who Connor Hughes says is the guy that he's hearing about the most, um, Daryl Bevel and Greg Olson. So those are probably the two that look the most likely. We should, I would say. We should clarify which Greg Olson we're talking about. Yeah, not, not, the, not the former Panthers tight end. We're talking about the uh, Raiders, former Raiders offensive coordinator. Um, so that Greg Olson. Who's um, now an offensive I'm, consultant for the Rams. Yeah, yeah, assistant with the – or consultant, whatever it is. Um, a lower-level position with the Rams this season. But um, both those two guys, I would say, are solid options, I would say. Not anything that makes me do backflips, but I would say they're above average. Um, Bevel, this year, he's a Dolphins quarterback's coach, uh, which, is, which is obviously an, an appealing title considering – Is he also, is he also the passing year. game coordinator? Is he also the passing game coordinator? coordinator? I'd have to check on that. I know he's the quarterback's coach. Um, So that's obviously appealing. But for the most part, he's known for when he was the Seahawks OC. Uh, All right. So that's a good one as well. Uh, That adds to his appeal season. Um, He's mostly known for Seattle days, 2011 to 2017. He was their OC. Obviously, that was the heyday of the Seahawks, Russell Wilson's best years. Um, So a lot of success there. Connection with Robert Sala. During that time, uh, Sala was the quality control coach defensively for a few years in Seattle. Uh, Jeff Ulbrich was there as well, so there's that connection. Um, so that's what you're mainly looking at with Bevel. He was uh, the Lions OC for a couple years. Um, and when Stafford was healthy in those Lions, two Lions years, the Lions offense was pretty solid. It wasn't amazing, but it was uh, pretty good, I would say. Uh, and then last year in 2021, OC with the Jaguars, which – Obviously yeah. sounds ugly, but at the same time, you know, Urban Meyer is there. And it seems like he was mostly running Meyer's offense because I was reading uh, something that Meyer said when they hired him. And he's basically saying, uh, Urban Meyer saying that he likes Bevel because he was going to run Meyer's offense the way he wanted it. So he's kind of just a puppet for Meyer last year. Jags didn't have talent, rookie quarterback. So wouldn't hold it against him too much, but it, it was definitely ugly. Um, and then looking at Greg Olson, he's intriguing because my guy, my favorite quarterback option for the Jets, Derek Carr, he played his best football under Greg Olson, uh, 2018 to 21. He was a Raiders OC and also um, 2013 to 14. So two separate stints. Uh, so he's there for Carr's rookie year. He left for three years and then he was the OC again for another four years. And when Greg Olson was there, I mean, the numbers Carr is putting up. Here's what he, he was averaging per season in four, those four years with Greg Olson, not including his rookie year. 23 touchdowns, 10 picks, 4,200 yards, 97 passer rating, 7.7 yards per attempt, 68.7% completion rate. So, I mean, sign me up for those numbers if that's what I'm going to get from a Jets quarterback. Um, so there's that connection. Uh, also another connection with the Jets coaching staff. He worked a couple years with Ron Middleton in Jacksonville from 2015 to 16. Uh, so there's a connection. So, uh, yeah, I like the Derek Carr connection. I think Greg Olson, he, he's been an OC for a lot longer than uh, just the Raiders. 14 total seasons as an OC in his NFL career. So another veteran guy, both of these guys really. Uh, Olson's had 14 seasons as an OC. Uh, and then Bevel has had, I think, 13, somewhere around there. Uh, or actually 16. 16 seasons as an OC for Bevel. So both these guys are longtime coordinators who bring that veteran aspect you were not getting with Mike LaFleur. 
Yeah, I, I think that Olsen and Bevel are definitely the two to keep an eye out um, for. And, and and you briefly, you mentioned Derek Carr being your guy. I don't think he can be just your guy, Michael, because the fact that the Jets have fired Michael Floor, now granted, Jimmy Garoppolo still overlaps with Robert Sala and a number of these guys in this coaching staff. So it wouldn't shock me if, if the Jimmy Garoppolo re- reunion still happens. But now that LaFleur isn't the offensive coordinator, I think it's a little less likely, especially seeing the rumors that the Raiders are interested in reuniting him with Josh McDaniels and, and whatnot. Um, so then it's like, all right, Carr is the option. Because if they don't get their car, who are they going for? Seriously. I mean, like, okay, right. maybe a, you maybe they could, a pipe dream they can trade for Lamar or Aaron Rodgers. And granted, crazy trades happen every offseason, so maybe that isn't too crazy. But let's just say Rodgers stays in Green Bay. Lamar stays in Baltimore. I know this is the Michael Floor pod. I won't get too deep here, but um, Brady stays in Tampa Bay or slash retires. It's like, seriously, who, who are they going for? Trade for Ryan Tannehill? I'm saying if you don't get Derek Carr, the Sam Darnold reunion, draft a quarterback because you'll be left at the altar with Mike White and Zach Wilson. I mean, there's nobody else out there. So I do think that Derek Carr is the route for the Jets. And that is to me why Greg Olson is, the most appealing. Uh, also, Derek Carr does have that no trade clause. And while Olsen or not, even if it's Bevel or any of the other, these other guys, I still think that the Jets are clearly the best place for Derek Carr to play. That I think that if he does get traded and not released, that is where he'd want to go. But if you sign Greg Olsen to be your offensive coordinator, guaranteed that's where Derek Carr is going to want to end up. And I do like uh, the fit. I mean, we have to look more into Greg Olsen. We, we're planning to do some offensive coordinator preview podcasts uh break down some of these candidates and i think that's michael where, where we're at our best our, our head coaching uh, candidate podcast really uh yeah. through the pod more than anything um so yeah we'll, we'll break down these guys more in depth with with people who've actually watched these guys and ourselves over the next few days we'll go and dig into the all 22 um bevel is interesting i think the the thing to consider here and i guess we can leave with this is you know when Sala was hired he made a point to be the head coach and not just to be the defensive coordinator that hires a guy that oversees the offense. And so Saul is the head coach and he's, you know, delegating a lot to Jeff Ulbrich on defense and he was delegating a lot to Michael Floor on offense, but Saul oversees the whole operation. So that leads me to believe, and, and maybe this changes, um, that he wants to stick with an outside zone, you know, that Shanahan West coast system. Uh, he's talked about it before and uh, granted this might just be, be because the floor was his offensive coordinator, that that's how, you know, that his vision aligned a lot with LaFleur and Shanahan and Matt LaFleur in terms of what an offense should look like in the NFL, and that's the offense he wants for his team. So if that's the case, Bevel does make a lot of sense. I have to look more into Greg Olson, but he's not – I don't think he's a – I think I, he has some outside – from my brief research, he has some outside zone uh, tendencies. And I also think if you bring in Derek Carr, you're going to want to mold the offense around him. So maybe this is all a moot point. But if Sala is, you know, they, they've added players on offense that granted can fit plenty of other schemes and it's not, you know, it's not like you're putting a, a square uh, peg into a round hole. But if you've brought in these guys to fill an outside zone style of offense and that's the style of offense Sala wants to run, well, then maybe those are the offense coordinator candidates they're looking at as opposed to a guy like Brian Johnson who's the Eagles quarterback coach, who, by the way, I don't think they will go with somebody like that. I think, I think they're going to want to go with an experienced offensive play caller. That's why Olsen and Bevel also make a lot of sense or Kubiak. Um, I just think that's the one thing to consider 
is that I think they're going to look for somebody within the same DNA of, of the offense that they've already been running, just somebody more experienced and somebody that they feel can help develop some of these young players that haven't maybe progressed as they would have hoped, uh, especially Zach Wilson and getting another play caller in his ear, getting another coach in his ear and seeing if that is able to unlock him. So from that standpoint and from all the negatives that we laid out from the floor, this might be very well be a damn good day for the New York Jets. You know, this might be the start of a great offseason for the Jets. If there was a lot of pushback and Woody's meddling and they don't get the OC candidates that they want, that's a different story. But uh, for right now, Michael, I don't think the sky is falling. I think there's plenty to criticize the floor over, and I don't think you can, you know, completely hate the firing because, you know, their offensive performance has been unacceptable. So with that being said, Michael, I'll do the plugs. If you have any last thoughts, you throw them in there. But you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter, myself, Ben W. Blessington, Michael, Michael underscore Nania. Go to JetsXFactor.com, best place to go for Jets content. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe to the Jets X Factor YouTube. I think that's it. Michael, last thoughts. I did want to comment a little bit on what you said about, you know, what kind of candidate they might look for. Um, I, I think I agree with what you say. With what you said, I think they're going to go for uh, a veteran who kind of comes from the same schematic background because I think, you know, they built the roster with that in mind, you know, with the, you know, the scheme the floor is building and this doesn't figure to be an off season where they're going to overturn the roster too much just because of the resources are a little limited, probably going to make a big quarterback move. So um, I think they're going to want to stick with the same coaching tree and, and they do still have other assistants who, seem to be sticking around to also come from a similar background. Yeah, maybe, so. maybe they promote Rob Calabrese to offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. I think that's <laughs> what all Jets fans want to see right now. So, um, so yeah, I think they're going to stay within that. I think they want more experience for sure. Just to, you know, because this is a playoff or bust season, I think they're going to want that higher floor, just more reliability, more so than swinging for the fences with the next, you know, uh, you know, up and coming hot shot kind of guy. I think that's what they're going to look for. At the same time, though, I do think, um, you know, on the subject of, you know, wide zone and what kind of run game should they be trying to build, um, for me personally, just watching their run game this season, because I just recently, and I brought this up in the last podcast, but I did just recently watch all of their run plays from this season because I was tracking all the run blocking assists and run stuffs allowed. As you said, that could probably contribute to some poor mental health. Yeah. It's not the greatest <laughs> thing to watch after your team loses six games in a row to end Just the season. But watching one yard run after one yard run. Yeah, that, that that's the majority of it. Eventually there's Zon of the Night does some cool thing, or you know, Brees Hall was there for a few games. But Michael Carter that, gets tackled for minus two yards. Other than that's just Michael Carter running into walls for the most part. Um, so not super entertaining, but definitely informative and helpful as we go into this off season. But anyway, um, for me, I think wide zone is actually their worst running concept this year. They didn't, I mean, like just when they're running, you know, any kind of straight outside zone play, it was usually not successful. I mean, you think their best runs this season, it was like, go back to that bills drive at the end of that game. Like that's all more like gap and power stuff. I mean, trapping guys, pulling the guards, stuff like that more so than just like let's get everyone moving laterally those type of plays they didn't do well with but when they were you know doing gap runs like in that power or uh you know power gap runs at the end of that bills game that's when they did really well and also with 
you know, sweeps and pitches, stuff like that. Like you think about that um, Brees Hall run against the Broncos, the big touchdown, stuff like that. They did really well with when, you know, have the wide receivers, pin guys inside or the tight ends, anyone who's out there, pull the guards outside, have them lead the way, stuff like that. There's more directed, like where you're running out of direction more so than, you know, zone runs, just everyone going the same way, running back, pick a hole. They were more successful with those uh, power and gap runs. So with that in mind, I do wonder if maybe they are open to a schematic change. Maybe they look at this roster and say, you know what? Maybe this roster isn't built for a wide zone game. Maybe we're able to make that switch to more of a power running game. Um, And on the Derek Carr point, I do think that that kind of complements it more because I have been watching some Derek Carr film. And what he does... He is good at executing play fakes, but I think uh, when it comes to the play action game, he's most effective when it's a drop back play action. Like I don't see a ton of bootlegs from him in their offense and, and rollouts and stuff like that. But he likes they the get him, Yeah, those type of plays. Like that's his bread and butter. Just like play fake, drop back, run straight up the pocket and chuck bombs. That's what I think he does. Or look for the check really well. Yeah. And, that too, like I think he's. And we'll talk plenty more about Derek Carr, but yeah. I do think he's Derek Carr. Kind of, we got the Derek Carr podcast coming. Yeah, we'll have plenty more, but uh, yeah, I do think he's a really kind of like you know boom or not boom or bust, but you know he he'll take big shots, but he'll also check it down a lot more so than relying on the in between. But regardless, main point is I think a power running game kind of complements the play action that works for Carr more. So maybe that leads you to Greg Olson and maybe you do change up the scheme a little bit. Uh, So ultimately that is my case for maybe they are open to a new scheme, a new mind who's not from this Shanahan coaching tree, but I do lean towards, I think that's what they will do at the same time. I could see the other direction as well, them going in a different path with the offense. Yeah. I think so much of the wide zone, the lack of success can be attributed to the offensive line. Because, you know, they yeah. had guys like Nate Herbig out there who's not necessarily an outside zone fit. Uh, they lost both their tackles. I mean, look, we already did the plugs, so we don't have to keep going on here. We'll have much more to talk about these candidates and reviewing the Jets season and previewing the offseason and talking about their car. And we have all sorts of podcasts planned. Uh, should be mo- mentioned because I don't think we, we did talk about it, that uh, all three of Kubiak, Olsen, and Bevel uh, overlapped with with Robert Saul at some point. Olsen and yeah. Saul over, overlapped with... Uh, with each other in Jacksonville. And, you know, another thing to consider with Olsen, it's not just Derek Carr, but he got, you know, Jared Goff was viewed as, as a pretty big bust and he got in LA. Olsen came in in the second year and got uh, some good quality football out of Jared Goff. And also he got some good quality football out of Blake Bortles. So if you're trying to resurrect Zach Wilson, bringing in a guy like Greg Olsen isn't just for Derek Carr. I think he also, you can make the argument could help a guy like uh, Zach Wilson and maybe even changing up the scheme will help Zach Wilson. Who knows? We'll talk about it all. Um, I would say the next podcast coming are probably will be uh, we'll probably do some uh, offense coordinator candidate preview pods, just a few of them. See, you know, the obvious ones like the Olsons and the Bevels, and then we'll see the interview. Uh, we still want to do a team awards superlatives pod looking back on the season. We have the Derek Carr pod. We have a lot of podcasts planned for the next little bit, um, but not sure when the next one will come out. Probably sometime in the next few days, but Thank you, everybody, for listening. Let us know what you think about uh, moving on from Michael Floor in the comments or at on Twitter. Do you think it's the right move? Uh, do you think it's the wrong move? Do you think Johnson meddled? Who do you think they should go with? I don't know. Let's open up the discussion. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great weekend. Go Jets.